you have a Bible and would like to follow along, we're in the book of Jude today. And I'm going to read verses 20 and 21. We looked at verse 20 last week. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Uh, This is the word of the living God, and we must heed it and receive it as such. Let us pray. Father, I do thank you for your word. It is authoritative. It is inerrant. It is powerful, life-changing. Lord, would you bring, by the Holy Spirit who inspired it, bring this word to bear in each and every one of our hearts so that, Lord, you would be the one speaking to each soul today and that you would do heart surgery And change hearts, change my heart, Lord. And I pray that as we leave here today, we would not be the same. Uh, We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in uh, light of the 4th of July coming up, I was tempted to preach a sermon about national affairs and so on. uh, Because, well, obviously... There's a lot of problems uh, in our nation right now, and, and we all would like to see our nation turn around. I found it was interesting that recently the New York Times published an article and said, things aren't really all that bad, it's just your imagination. That's basically what, what the article said, and um, I believe they're the ones who are dreaming. But uh, if we want to see things turn around, where do we go? Well, we know the politicians are, and, and politics itself is not the ultimate uh, way our nation is going to turn around. In fact, uh, politicians are often the biggest part of the problem. Uh, so we need to remember a couple of things that uh, politics, as has been said, is downstream from culture, and culture is downstream from religion. In other words, if, if we really want to see change in our nation, uh, we need to get to the root of the problem. And the root of the problem, and therefore the source for the solution, is religion. And by religion, I mean the way in which we know, worship, and serve God. Uh, and we know, of course, there's only one true religion, and that is biblical Christianity. So in light of the upcoming observance of uh, the founding of our nation and our desire for its improvement, uh, then we need to return to the roots of our faith with the hope that our culture and our nation will be impacted for good. And at the same time, whether or not our culture and our nation are impacted for good, you and I are called Uh, to love God, to keep ourselves in the love of God. And that's going to be our focus today. Uh, The the message we started out with last week, build, pray, keep, look. We did build, we did pray, and today we're doing keep. Next week, Lord willing, we'll get to the look part. 
So uh, Jesus said this in Revelation 2, verse 4. He said, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the first works. The best thing you can do for your country, the best thing you can do for yourself and for your family is to repent and return to the Lord Jesus Christ as the first and foremost love of your heart. Now, that leads us to look at verse 21a this morning. And and we're looking at the first half, which says, Keep yourselves in the love of God. In verse 20, we learn that we ought to uh, build ourselves up on our most holy faith. Of course, using the Word of God and then engaging in prayer, a prayer in the Holy Spirit. And so as we take seriously these two primary and vital means of grace, uh, I think we'll recognize that uh, one of the results, one of the great purposes of of the use of these means of grace is to Keep us in the love of God. Why why are you praying? Why are you building yourself up in the faith? So that you might love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. So as we study verse 21, the first thing to notice is that keep yourselves in the love of God is a command. It's an exhortation, yes, but it is put in the way of a command. The Greek there is in the imperative. And... And yet, we know uh, that um, it's not the whole picture. Uh, commandment is not the whole picture in the Bible, is it? No. Uh, if it weren't for the grace of God uh, and the love of God working in our own hearts, first, we would never uh, do any of the commandments of God. We would only break them. But uh, in 1 Peter 1.15, it says... That we are kept by the power of God. And in Jude verse 24, we're told that God is able to keep you from stumbling. So that means you just let go and let God, right? Well, that's not the way Jude put it. Uh, Jude says, keep yourselves in the love of God. And verse 24 doesn't nullify what he just said in verse 21. So... Um, we're not completely passive in this matter. We are completely dependent on the grace of God and the Holy Spirit uh, to work in us. We're completely dependent on Christ, and yet because and, and flowing from that, we are commanded to keep ourselves in the love of God. Over and over in the Bible, we find the commandment to keep God's commandments. <laughs> Keep God's commands. The Bible tells us to keep God's covenant, uh, to keep the way of the Lord. And it's interesting, especially in the Old Testament, that we find the correlation between individuals who are members of either the church or nation, uh, members of a nation. Uh, those who are members of a nation must keep themselves if the nation is to is to prosper and to have God's protection. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, 
verses 7 through 9, we see this correlation between the welfare of the nation of Israel and the, and the need for the individuals of that nation to keep themselves in God's way. Deuteronomy 4 says, speaking about Israel, for what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? For whatever reason, we may call upon him. And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law which I set before you this day? So God had formed Israel as a nation. He brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand. He was with them throughout the wilderness wanderings in spite of their sins. Uh, he stayed with them and and in that wilderness, God gave them righteous laws and statutes. And they were truly blessed to be a nation in covenant with God. God had promised them a land that he was going to give to them. And that he would keep them in that land. But in verse 9 of Deuteronomy 4, Moses goes on to tell the people, Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself. Lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. The people, you see, God was warning them, if you're not diligent to keep yourselves, uh, it's not going to go well with you. And of course, we know the, the rest of the story that, that Israel did not ultimately keep themselves. And uh, God uh, sent them uh, into exile and so on. So... Uh, you and I um, need to remember from their example so that we uh, would be diligent to keep ourselves. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. You see, the source of, of your life is, is the heart. And the source <clears throat> of every human being, uh, of whatever... They are doing how they're behaving in life is it comes from the heart. Jesus says it's out of the heart that flew all the issues of life. And so we need to keep our heart to guard it, especially keep our hearts in the love of God. Um, if we keep ourselves in the love of God, we'll have an impact on our families, on our communities, on our culture, on our nation. But if we fail to do that, uh, then we will collectively suffer under a culture dominated by the ungodly, which is indeed what we see happening today, or at least it seems to be that way. Uh, so we need to endeavor to keep ourselves in the love of God. Now, in order to keep something, you must first possess it. So Jude is speaking to those who are already in the love of God. You cannot keep what you do not have. So are you in the love of God? Do you possess the love of God? And you say, well, how do I get the love of God uh, into my heart, into my soul? Well, the way you get anything from God, by receiving it as a gift of God's grace through Jesus Christ the Lord. So in order to possess the love of God, you must possess Jesus Christ, receive him by faith. Uh, because he is love itself. And when, when you receive Christ, Romans says that the love of God will be shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. And <clears throat> we know all about God's love 
uh, from Scripture in John 3.16. Everyone knows that God so loved the world uh, that he gave his only begotten son. But not everyone has experienced that love. But when you receive God's love, when you put your faith in Christ, uh, then you will experience that divine love firsthand uh, as Christ enters your heart. So So the question is, do you have Christ dwelling in your hearts Uh, is the love of God by the presence of the Holy Spirit within you. If so, then keep yourselves in His love. Now, Jesus said something very similar to Jude. He said in John 15, 9, As the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. And that word abide can mean keep. It can mean stay. It can mean remain. Abide in my love. Well, that's interesting. Jesus says the same thing. But you need to know that neither Jesus or Jude are saying that, first of all, you could lose your salvation. He's not talking about your salvation that you can either keep or lose it. If God has given it to you, if you're in Christ by faith, you can never be separated from His love. And... Uh, So, in the closing verses of Romans 8, we're told that nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's meant to give believers an assurance of His love and His salvation, uh, that that it is eternal, uh, that if you have Christ, you have eternal life, and that it's not temporary, and it's not dependent on you, but on God's grace alone. So, if nothing can separate us from the love of God, then why are we told to keep ourselves in his love? Well, think of God's love like the light of the sun. Uh, The sun is shining right now, but uh, this afternoon, it's very likely that a cloud is going to appear, as one did yesterday. Uh, Some thick clouds, you wouldn't know that there was a sun uh, yesterday afternoon when that storm came through. But we know the sun is still there. It's still shining. Uh, We just don't experience it. We don't see it. Uh, It it continues to shine even though it's covered up. But you see, God's love is always there in the life of a believer. And uh, sometimes our sin and sometimes uh, circumstances may cloud the experience of his love, the warmth of that love. But that doesn't change. The, the fact that God does love us, God's love does, is not removed from us even when we sin. After all, he demonstrated his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us when there was nothing but sin to love, in a sense. Uh, nothing but a sinner, rotten sinner through and through, and yet God loved us. That's amazing. Well, if Christ died for you and you've received him and, and you've begun to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, um, then you're, you're in a far better state than you were, and yet you still sin. And of course, God does not stop loving you. Now, you may, <clears throat> you may lose temporarily of the experience of that love, but it doesn't change the fact that if you're in Christ, God always loves you. In fact, he's always loved you. He's loved you with an everlasting love. He's loved you 
from before time began until the end of eternity, which there is no end to eternity. So, in other words, keep yourselves in the love of God. Stay in the sunshine uh, as much as you can. You know, doctors say it's good, it's healthy for us to get out in the sun. Not too much, but uh, if you stay indoors all the time, uh, it's not it's not that good. So, so spiritually, stay in the sunshine of God's love. That's what he's saying. Keep yourselves exposed to God's rays of love. But how might we lose the enjoyment of God's love? First, by being careless in our walk with the Lord. Um, the opposite of being careless is to be watchful. Uh, Jesus said, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So <clears throat> those who are watchful are, are careful to uh, uh, guard their hearts so that sinful desires and allurements of the world don't take hold there. We have in the Bible uh, antithesis uh, in so many areas, but one of those antitheses is in 1 John 2.15 where he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So you have the love of the Father on one hand, you have the love of the world. And if we love the world, we're not loving God. The love of the Father, at least at that moment, is not in him. Likewise, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So either the love of this world will squeeze out the love of God, or your love for God and his love for you will squeeze out love for this world. There's not room for both to coexist in your heart. In fact, the Bible says that the person who tries to love the world and God is a double-minded person. And James said, don't let such a person think that they'll receive anything from God. Well, the pressures of a wicked world are always pulling us out of the sphere of the love of God, drawing us away from it. Jesus said this in Matthew 24, 12. He says, because... And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. He was talking about a future time. Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Um, it does seem that lawlessness is abounding today. And therefore, we need to be on guard against our love growing cold. And according to the previous verse in Matthew 24, in verse 11... The lawlessness that Jesus is, was referring to was on account of the false prophets who would rise up and deceive many. Now, Jude, if you've been with us, uh, has been talking mainly about false teachers and our need to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints and, and to be discerning about these false teachers, these false prophets that Jesus uh, warned us about, uh, that False teaching leads to lawlessness, which leads to our love growing cold. You see the connection there. So, and he says, you know, Jesus says, uh, the love of many will grow cold. Now, many doesn't mean all, does it? Uh, you and I uh, can be an exception by the grace of God, so that uh, if we are diligent to keep ourselves in the love of God, it is not likely to happen to us. But again, not without being diligent. 
So false teaching and, and lawless living will, if it gets into the church, it will cause even the love of Christians to grow cold in their love for the Lord. And it's also true that if you lose your first love for the Lord, you'll become more susceptible to false teachers. So if you love God, uh, you will not love false doctrine because you know what it is. It's not of God, and you know where it leads to lawless living. And we saw earlier, we talked earlier, to keep the commandments of God is all about love. So lawlessness, breaking the laws of God, cannot be loving at all. So sin, the pressures of the world, can dampen our love for the Lord. But not only do we need to guard against uh, the negative influences around us, but we need to positively keep ourselves in God's love. And in order to do that, it is helpful to remember the experience of his love when you first came to Christ or, or, or when you were uh, really awakened to his love in your hearts. It was his love for me as a lost, hell-deserving sinner that first awakened me and drew me to Christ. It was his love speaking through others who dared to tell me about this love of Christ that drew me. It made me want, when I saw what Christ had done for me, it made me want to love him in return. I also think of the parable of the prodigal son. Right? Uh, the father had two sons, and the younger son wanted to leave home to take all that was coming to him and just get out of there. Uh, now, the father loved both of his sons, but uh, this younger son left. But later, when he had lost everything, he realized what he had lost, and not just the goods. He lost that the love that he experienced in his father's house. And so he uh, realized that, and he went back, and he returned home. And, and sure enough, what did he find? He found his father running to meet him with open arms. That's the love of God. And so they put a robe on him. They put a ring on his hand. They put sandals on his feet. They killed a fatted calf. And they ate and made merry. And so, so that same love that drew the prodigal back, I'm sure it kept him there at home. Now, we don't know about the older son. I guess he probably stayed around, but... <clears throat> We, if we read about him, there wasn't any love in his, his heart. But you see, the love that, that drew us to Christ at first, let's remember that love. And that same love will, will keep us close to the Lord uh, and, and His love as we move on. But why should we strive to keep ourselves in the love of God? Because one reason is because of all the virtues uh, of the Christian life, love is the greatest. As 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, Now abide faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. And so the Bible even says God is love. Now he's more than love, but he is love. And God is also eternal. He's everlasting. And that means God's love is everlasting and, and, uh, and it's eternal why keep yourselves in the love of God? Because it is what we owe to Him. 
it is his due. As I said, all of the commandments can be summed up by saying we love to love the Lord or to love your neighbor. And, and, and of course, we love God because he first loved us. Now, to love God is our duty. That's why, one reason why we should keep ourselves in his love, because it's our duty. But it's much more than that. It is a, our delight. It's the delight of a Christian. If loving God is not your delight, if keeping his commandments is not your delight, then, then pray that God would change your heart. <clears throat> but all true believers love the Lord. But if we don't keep the fire of that love burning, uh, it will diminish. It will grow weak. So we need to keep ourselves in the love of God because another reason is because it is love is, is, is the source of every other virtue in the Christian life. Only those who love God are going to be zealous for his honor and for his glory. Only those who love God are going to care to to serve Him and to live sacrificially for the Lord. Uh, love for God, you see, fuels everything else. Love for Christ makes us want to obey and keep His commandments. And and really, without love, uh, as 1 Corinthians 13 says, you can give your body to be burned, give all your goods to the poor, but without love, it's nothing. So love must be there. It must be present in 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 the spirit and the heart of what we do for Him. And even, you know, and we do in all our duties, all that we do for the Lord, uh, there is sin to taint it. And yet, if there's genuine love for the Lord as we are doing these things for God, then God accepts them in Christ and they are pleasing to him if done with that attitude. So. And finally, if nothing else, we need to realize that our greatest happiness is found when we keep ourselves in the love of God. If you find yourself miserable, you're, you're not keeping yourself in the love of God. Uh, we can plainly see that the opposite is true. Those who love the world and love money, indeed, end up being miserable. Now, Solomon's own experience verifies this. He had everything money could buy. And yet, what did he say at the end of it all? He said, it's all meaningless, it's empty, it's vanity. So when we love God, when we put him first, then all things fall into place for us. When we put ourselves first, then we lose the happiness that we think we'll gain. And here's the way Jesus put it. And this had an impact on me when I was considering Christ when I was under conviction, he said, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I was afraid that if I surrendered my life to Christ that I was going to lose everything and I wouldn't be happy anymore. The very opposite <clears throat> is true. Well, if we're to keep ourselves in the love of God, there are several things to help us along in this endeavor. We've already talked about the, the need to build ourselves up in the Word and the need to pray in the Holy Spirit. So I'm not going to go back over those two things. But <clears throat> first thing we can do uh, is to meditate on the character of God, specifically His attribute of love. First John 4, 8 says God is love. And, the, and yet the, full, the full verse there, that's just the end of 1 John 4, 8. The full verse says, He who does not... Know, 
He who does not love does not know God. And, and so if there's a lack of love being expressed in our lives, it's partly due to the fact that we don't know God as, as we ought to specifically know him as the God of love. If we truly understood and, and knew him through meditating and studying uh, and praying through this idea of God's love, uh, then we would be more likely to imitate that and become loving ourselves. So it is God's nature to love. And remember this, too, that God, if you have been born again of the Spirit of God, He's given you a new nature. That new nature is created, you've been created in Christ Jesus uh, to love. It is a nature uh, that God has put in your heart, a nature of love. And so when you, uh, if you're not living a life of love, you're going against not only God's nature, but your own new nature in Christ. And of course, we will keep ourselves in the love of God as we remind ourselves, as we reflect often on the greatest display of love the world has ever seen. The coming, the incarnation, the life of love and the death of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross for sinners. Ephesians 5.2 says, and walk in love. Why or how? As Christ also loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. Christ gave himself up for us freely, out of love, as a sacrifice to God. And greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And that's what Christ has done for us. How can we not love him in return when we think about what he's done for us? And how can we not love others around us when we think that God has loved us? How can we not love others well, the Lord's table has been set before us today. And why did Christ give us the Lord's Supper? He took bread, first of all, and he said to his disciples, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. You see, the... The reason why he gave the Lord's Supper is so that we would remember what he did for us. Remember his love in giving himself up for us. The Lord's Supper is a visible sign of God's love. It is a tangible reminder of the deep, deep love of Jesus. It's it is a time for us to come and feed upon Christ by faith, to be nourished by faith, and to commune with the risen Christ, the one who loves us, and to commune with him in our hearts. So come to the Lord's table today to see his great love for sinners. Come to the Lord's table and experience and see his great love for you. He's invited you to come and taste and see that he is good.
to see that he is loved. So come to him to be renewed and strengthened in that love. The Lord's Supper is a means of grace. We talked about the word and prayer. Uh, the word sacraments and prayer are the three main means of grace. Here's how Paul put it in his prayer for the Ephesians, and I'll close with this. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So I'm going to ask the elders now if they would please come forward as we come to the Lord's Supper.